If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. I'm joined with in the studio today with Kira and also with Joshua, as usual. How's it going? Going great, man. We may not be the experts, but I tell you what, anything that we look up is coming from the experts. So anything that we put out on the show, guaranteed it is up to date and it is the information that you need. may not want to hear, but it is what you need. And we're going to start off right off the bat today and talk about puppies. And this is going to be the end of a three-part series that we had on puppies, what to look for when you uh, seek to buy a puppy from a breeder or to adopt a puppy. And then housebreaking was last week, and now we're going to talk about developmental periods. Because anytime you embark upon training your dog, whether it be a puppy or even an older dog, and even a human, but especially puppies, three factors must always be taken into consideration. Always. Attention. What do I need to do to gain your attention? You don't have any attention, you're not going to have any learning. Number two, motivation. What incentive do I have to use so that you will be motivated to learn what it is I'm trying to teach? And then lastly, cognition. Wow, how important is that? Do you, are you even capable of learning what it is I'm trying to teach you at this point? It's amazing. I, you know, it is the most critical of the three, makes the most sense that's the most critical of the three, and yet it is by far the most overlooked with puppies. And, you know, I really just don't get that because we don't overlook it with children. No. We're not jamming calculus down a lot of two-year-olds, at least not here in America. Maybe, maybe we are overseas, but we're not doing that here. Um, it's amazing. And I'm telling you, if you, as a consequence, if you push your puppy too soon, meaning outside the boundaries of natural developmental periods, or you don't push them enough, here's a fact you will have lifelong consequences. I think we see people push their puppies too soon all the time when it comes to housebreaking. I mean, if you think about it, when you're potty training a child, it's going to take a while. It's going to take 18 months, two years, three years sometimes for kids. And for puppies, they expect them to be housebroken in seven days. Isn't there a book out there that says housebreak your puppy in seven days? Well, I'm just going to tell you that doesn't happen like that. No, and we discussed that last week. It's never happened for us, never happened really for anyone that I know that started with a puppy, maybe an older dog who was uh, an outside dog that is now able to live indoors. They can learn pretty quickly, but they're physically and mentally set up to do that. Uh, It's amazing because we are such an anthropomorphic society. All the marketing with dogs surrounds the fact that they're trying to make you believe you own a little person in a fur coat. It's a fur baby. You're now a fur mama and a fur papa. You are the dog's grand dog and you know, just all sorts of things. So if you're going to do that, it, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm one of these guys, I, I'm never in the middle of the road. I'm either on one side of the road or I'm on the other side of the road. People can know that and they know that about Brian Bailey. I am never straddling any darn fence out there. But yet that fence gets straddled all the time to the the incorrect uh, or the disadvantage for the puppy doing so, thinking that it's a little person in a fur coat, 
and then pushing it quickly. I mean, my gosh, you know, like you said, potty training a child, toilet training is, aren't you, are you finished with that with your, your son now, Joshua? No, no. Not at all. No, not at all. I mean, he's doing a lot better. He's two now. And and the main thing with him is that the uh, motivation in which that he has changes from day to day. So no more M&Ms. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> it's like you'll get your M&Ms if you go potty in your potty chair. And then that he's like, oh, my gosh, and he'll do it four times that day. Next day, he's like, don't really care about the M&Ms. What else you got? I had enough yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It takes months to get this thing done. And again, why do you think of your dog as a little child and yet you push it faster than what you would a little child? We always assume that the, or we have a, a tendency to assume that dogs are like us in all the wrong ways and not like us in all the, the wrong ways. I mean, there's a lot of things in which that we're similar and for whatever reason, we don't make those connections. And there's a lot of ways in which we're different and we always try to make those connections and it doesn't yeah. work. Oh, I may have to pause for a second and run that through my brain. That. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was deep, Joshua. <laughs> yeah. Deep, and we're talking about toilet training. Okay. Um, moving on. Before we embark upon the different neural, anatomical, and developmental periods in your dog's life that are critically important, I think it's important to set the stage of terminology that we're going to use. What you label something can have consequences as how you – in effect, how you think about that something. I think a term that is way overused uh, in dog training is socialization. And many scientists uh, are now all in agreement that that term is not, number one, overused, not used correctly. So now they've drawn an umbrella. Imagine a big umbrella. And the umbrella itself is now known as sensitive periods. Dogs are sensitive to certain stimuli at certain periods in their lives. And underneath that umbrella are two other words, relevant stimuli. Uh, relevant stimuli and relevant exposure slash socialization. So again, those two make up the, uh, the stimuli. So that being said, the word relevant is, is really important because is what you're trying to teach your dog or what you're trying to expose your dog to relevant to it at that given age? That has to always be taken into account first. It, you have to see the world through the eyes of a puppy, not through the eyes that you desire to, in changes that you desire to have uh, be affected within a week or two or, or even a month or sooner. So therefore, we're going to use the term sensitive periods, and we're also going to use the term relevant exposure, relevant socialization, which all makes up the relevant stimuli and environment. I just did a video a couple days ago where I mentioned that I don't like the word socialization because it implies that the dogs have to be social with certain things. And I always, I always want to make sure that people look at the big picture. And we did a radio show about this, about, you know, thinking about what you want to train your dog to do and, and looking for the right trainer and things like that. And one thing with puppies is that I always try to go by the majority rule when I'm conditioning young puppies. So if you're going out and you're socializing with people and sounds and things like that, you want to condition them within the majority of how you would want them to behave in the future. What I mean by that is if you just every single person that they encounter, they run up to and they get treats and they get loving. Well, how do you think that that dog's going to be when it's six months, eight months, a year old? It's going to be seeing these people as petting machines. And so the socialization rule that a lot of people go by is that when I have a young puppy, I have every single person on the planet pet it and give it a treat and, and, and so on and so forth. But 
in reality, you want to go with the majority rule. How do you want the dog to behave under these circumstances, whether it be sound, sight, uh, interactions with other dogs, interactions with other people? How do I want the dog to ultimately behave when it's an adult dog um, and go by that majority rule? You know, and that just, again, harks back to relevant. Right. What is relevant to the puppy first? And then what will be relevant in your life with the dog? Uh, case in point, looking down the road, down the future. Why would you take a puppy and teach it to lay down next to a train track with a freight train running by if you never had the intention of doing so when it's an older dog? Again, it's all about being relevant. So speaking of that, let's go ahead and hop right into the different periods of a young dog's life. Now, some of these are out of most people's hands. If you're the dog owner, you aren't there during these first couple of periods I'm going to talk about. They, the young puppy should still be with the breeder. But that means, hey, if you have this information, you need to know this before you go and purchase that puppy. Yeah, and you can ask the breeder these questions so you make sure that they're doing it properly and you're going to get a puppy that you enjoy being around for the rest of his life and not one that's going to be coming to see Brian in a year. Yeah, you know, in a real non-scientific way, I point out all the time, things learned before 20 weeks of age, and even 16, it really starts to become very rigid then, are never forgotten, good and bad. Make sure it's done correctly. Okay, zero to 13 days of life, relevant stimuli, handling involving tactile and thermal stimuli is critical. Where do you think they're going to get that? Number one, their mother. Uh, these breeders who believe in scooping up the puppies away from their mother because they believe their mother will be a bad mother. Well, if she is, then why did you breed her in the first place? That's a good question. Um, but they do. So nevertheless, they whisk these little puppies away. They'll bottle feed them and they'll keep them away from their mother because they think that the mother may kill them, smother them, and just in general, just not be a good mother. That's horrible. Good mother or not, at that age, they don't know that. They don't know that. What they have to have is touch. There has to be touch. Dogs learn with their eyes first, touch second, smell third, hearing fourth. And third and fourth are really close together. But their eyes aren't open during that time. It's all about touch and warmth. Create warmth, survival. Uh, they must be around their mother. Uh, if they're not, then they can and oftentimes will develop a hyperreactivity and sensitivity to touch. And another thing that happens during that time period there that we really need to watch out for is that's when tails are docked and ears can, can be cropped at that point. I'm telling you, when you do this to a dog, when you do so, stand by. That dog will never, ever be as insensitive uh, to that kind of touch as what it would had you not done that. There will always be some hypersensitivity to touch from that point forward. And again, these are scientific facts. Well, there are dogs that still have their tails docked and their ears cropped. So what can you do later on to overcome those issues? Well, do you, again, and, and when I said that, they'll never be the same. So in other words, if the, the goal was for a developmental a standard to reach point B, this dog is already at minus A point or whatever's below A. Um, you're already starting off in the negative. Now you can climb out of that negative and you can achieve a, a goal of maybe A point eight, but achieving B, in which this animal is not 
sensitive at all to touch, it's just not going to happen. It's not. So therefore, you would have to do a lot of counter conditioning, and that would involve a lot of touching, a lot of tactile input to the animal over a long period of time, grabbing that tail area after it's healed, of course, around the ears to get it to a point in which it's very manageable. And depending upon the dog's genetic, how they were born, were they born the biology to overcome that? Then you may not, you may never even notice it. But if you were able to look at that dog somehow, some way, and go, not Dale's tails to, uh, docked, not ears cropped, now the dog's temperament versus the temperament of having done so, you'd be able to tell the difference. Well, how do you know if your dog is sensitive to touch? I mean, it's it's a puppy. How, how, what do you look for? What signs? Well, number one, just the biofeedback. Uh, you touch the puppy and you immediately, it feels like you're touching a live wire. So they flinch. There's a little flinch. Like their skin kind of crawls yes, a little They bit. can start to tremble. Or before you can even touch them, there's a bit of avoidance. Either their eyes will look away from you. They'll turn their head. They'll move just a little bit further away from you. There's all sorts of ways to tell. Trust me, if you own the dog long enough, and if you own dogs prior to that that are, were not sensitive to touch, you'll be able to tell. Yeah, gotcha. The next period, 13 to 20 days, handling by humans and dogs and exposure to auditory and visual stimuli are critical. Again, no, keep using this word critical because it's the absolute truth. If not, the consequence is concerns with visual and auditory acuity and interpretation of the audio and, and visual uh, uh, stimuli that you provided them. Plus, there's the degradation of human and dog imprinting. So if you don't expose the dog, this is a great time in which you would want to turn on at a distance, maybe in a far room across the house, the vacuum cleaner. This is when you would have cars drive by outside, but the dog would still be inside. You would allow sounds to come in, TVs to be turned on, stereos, again, not loud, not a big bass. This is where you would now approach the dog and, and show the dog different things from a visual standpoint. You can introduce toys into the, the whelping box. You can now have them come out of the box and start to motor around just a little bit. Their locomotion is now picking up big time at this point here. Uh, so you have to do this. If, if not, and again, you just keep the dog in a box or in a room away from everything because you're being overprotective. Wow. You know, that brain's still searching anyway. It's still developing and it's still seeking out anything that is relevant to it and everything at that age. Everything all the way from zero to 20 days is all about survival. Well, remember when we did the Ultimate Dog Summit and we talked to Trisha Schmord, who breeds husky puppies, and she said her the, the process that she uses or she calls it underfoot. She says they're always underfoot because it's so important, like you said, that they hear the vacuum cleaner in a distant room, the dishwasher, things like that. She was the first person that I had really heard that talked specifically about those things and exposing the puppies in that way. Absolutely. And, and you must do that because you're taking so many things into account. You, you, you cannot be have a narrow focus here. You have to have a wide angle, broad view of the future to know what's going to happen. And again, if you're a breeder, you don't, you're going to be sending these puppies off into the world. And the second that they leave your home, you just lost control. You lost all control as to what happens there. Uh, another important thing about during this period, species recognition occurs about two and a half to three weeks of age. Species 
recognition. This is where your puppy starts to recognize its con specifics. Uh, what a dog is a dog. Dog is a dog. Starts to also recognize humans. What are humans? They can visually recognize them. Pups raised only with cats from two and a half to 13 weeks do not recognize dogs. And one of the big concerns that's come up as of late is raising dogs of one breed with only dogs of that breed. So again, you raise, uh, for example, Yorkies with only Yorkies, and then you only expose them to Yorkies. Uh, this is common, very common, especially with breeders who have multiple litters on the ground. Next thing you know, you have a small dog growing up who only recognizes Yorkies as a conspecific, not the big boxer, not the big mastiff. And certainly if it's not handled by humans, I don't recognize humans. Now, again, you don't need me to tell you what's now being set up, what is now starting to happen and what can happen. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's exactly what I was about to say is that the the repercussions of not being able to identify other uh, species or, or breeds, it results in fear and aggression, fear or aggression. You know, it, it, it's not just, a, oh, I don't understand them, so I'm just going to avoid them. It's, it, it has serious rep, uh, you know, repercussions. Yeah, I think we see that in the rats. The little, the, they're morkies, they're not really rats, but I think we see that because Dave and Poe, both, when they see a big dog, they just, they're it's all on end and they're so I think yep. we see it more with the yeah because when before we had control of them before we could expose them and they socialized them to larger dogs which was mm -hmm. going to be relevant because we also own larger dogs it was too late yeah it was already too late it has a lot to do with not just the size but also how the ears stand how the tails stand how if it's a curled tail or not a curled tail if it's longer fur i mean it has everything to do with with how they interpret it and if they can't interpret it properly it causes confusion and confusion causes fear well, well imagine young puppies I'm, i grow up and my mother's tail is docked and all my siblings tails are docked and then the day i meet a dog with a tail yeah you wonder what goes through their head hey did you know there's something stuck to you back there <laughs> or vice versa would be right. even worse because they don't know what the tail that's less information given yeah, to them they, without the tail they don't see anything yeah. there's yeah. no tail to see well i wish they allowed them to have klingons and then that's where your dog goes potty and something is still stuck to their rear ends because i'm telling you what i've owned a lot of powerful dogs in my day i've owned police dogs uh, military working dogs uh, cattle dogs you name it if they have something still stuck to their butts after they go potty it's game over you lose them pure panic up the arousal call them oh my gosh we need to videotape captain oh yeah. So if I'm a breeder, if I was ever going to do breeding, I would on purpose do Klingons. I would, I don't know, tape something to their butts, whatever, just so that, hey, deal with it. It's going to be fine. We're going to get it off. If you hold still, by golly, I'll let Kira pull it off. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, moving on here. Now we've gotten past that point. We're talking about three weeks to eight weeks. The next two developmental periods I'm going to talk about, pay attention. If you've been getting coffee at this point or whatever, pay attention because here it comes. This is about the time, the latter part of the eight weeks in which most people have already picked up their puppies, either six weeks or eight weeks of age. Now during this time period, it is transition time from semi-solid food to solid food. Hey, welcome to the law 
of limited resources. Again, I have preached dogs have no clue that you are going to be a lifelong benefactor. They don't give a hoot what food it is that you're going to feed them because their instinct and the internal mechanisms that drive their behaviors says this, you are a social predator. And on this planet, there's only so much food and you will have to compete for that food. So pups will begin to explore their world why? Looking for food. And they will hone in intraspecific skills. That means dog-to-dog skills, conspecific skills, puppy-to-puppy, by interacting with the other pups. Right about this age, at about four weeks, you will see them bite another pup. Why? Because they learn very quickly that pain motivates and if I can motivate you to back off, then in case there's only one biscuit on the table and there's six of us, I'm getting the biscuit. Uh, the pups will interact in that way, and they'll also become more coordinated during this time, and which will allow them to engage in mouthing, pouncing, grabbing, and again, biting. This teaches them at an early age with their own you know, bite test dummies. That's basically what it is. I want to try this out on you. Something's telling me I need to bite you. And something's telling me I need to avoid you. And something tells me I can crawl on top of you and pin you to the ground. Absolutely. This teaches them intra-group control, which is vital if you are a social member. We have intra-group control as humans, or at least we should, because if we don't, we have chaos. We have anarchy. It teaches them about hierarchies teaches them about competitive aggression and the law of limited resources. Interaction with humans also intensifies. Again, you are not one of my siblings, but you are a being. And because you are a being and you have a thermal temperature that I can sense and a smell and movement, I'm going to interact with you just like I would a dog because I've never been you and therefore I only know how to use the skill set that was given to me that controls the behavior of dogs. So all of this is happening in three to eight weeks, an incredible time in the young puppy's life. Those of you who've been around puppies at this age, my gosh, they're gone. They're headed down the hallway. They're checking this. They're putting everything in their mouth. They're pouncing. They're grabbing. It's a wonderful time. If you allow them to do so, great. If you don't, here's what you get. Heightened reactivity to dogs heightened reactivity to other species, including humans. Lack of inhibition, both in arousal levels and behavioral responses, will occur. Listen to that, lack of inhibition. So again, you get this puppy, and it's already learned that, hey, if I bite, it motivates. If I howl my head off, it motivates things to do stuff for me. Uh, nothing has been allowed to be checked, because when there are other puppies, many of these things get put in a check. Uh, the, it's a, like a governor is placed on some of their behavior. The breeder should be doing the same thing. You should be doing the same thing. We talked about crate training. Yeah, you can howl. Go ahead and howl. Science is on my side. Science has proven that you will howl for the first day or so, but then after that, you will become very calm because why you learn. Dogs learn to be calm. Listen to this. They learn to be calm and obedient, and such learning has profound consequences for how they later handle situations that are potentially anxiety provoking. They learned this from their litter mates. They should learn this from the breeder and they should learn it from you.
So if there's a breeder, say you're, you're interviewing a breeder and the breeder says, okay, I'm going to give you your new puppy at four weeks. That means that puppy's going to miss this entire period with its litter mates. That's just a recipe for disaster. Yes. Yeah. You know, and you hate to put everything in a box and put it and label it as an absolute, but I'm here to tell you right now, I have evaluated tens of thousands of dogs, probably well over 100,000 dogs in four decades that suffer from mental illnesses just like humans. And I can tell you this much right here, right now, very emphatically. Number one, there's a genetic component a very big and powerful influential genetic component. And then there's an environmental component. In fact, in neurobiology, we always use the the term gene by E, G by E, genetics by environment. Take away one or the other. You can have the greatest genetics in the world, poor environment, game over. You can have the best environment in the world, textbook handling, you name it, poor genetics, game over. Uh, So that being said, you can't really, you as the dog consumer or the dog owner or the puppy, you don't have a lot of control over the genetics. Uh, Even the breeder only has so much control. There's only so much control. Things just happen that we don't understand why it happens, but it does. But you're right, Kira. You miss that time period. Oh, oh, you will have increased barking, you will have increased anxiety, you have lots of issues, you will. Sometimes the owners recognize them, sometimes they don't. Uh, A condition known as a generalized anxiety disorder can be hidden for a couple of years, all because, well, you're you're going, well, it's just a puppy. That's why it's afraid. Or let's say I've never owned a female dog before, and I think that's just probably because of this gender. In other words, you come up with a million explanations, a lot of denial, until finally one day you think, you know, there's something wrong with this pup. Yeah, you ran out of excuses. This isn't right. There's something definitely wrong because why it's developing and developing and developing and developing, and boom, soon it becomes so symptomatic that you can no longer deny it. One thing that I've also noticed with dogs being taken um, too early is that they almost always have some level of a expen- or extended, extended secure base attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know how to be independent in any way. Um, and that's just my own obser- observations of dogs that are, are you know two years of age and also have a secure base attachment with either a dog or a human almost always at some point or was taken away from their litter too early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look what they're missing. Social yeah. support. You bet. I don't have my litter mates. I don't have my mother. I'm not going to go explore the world if I don't have social support, which also means before my brain was even fully developing, I was whisked away into a novel environment where I've lost predictive information on the, therefore I've lost control. But one thing leads to the other. All right. The next period, guys, this is uh, this is the one in which we can, now start to think about training, moving on from training. Um, eight to 12 weeks, rapid myelination slows by 10 weeks. Now, a lot of people are going, what the heck is myelination? That's my question. Myelination is this, uh, not getting too technical, neurons. Neurons use electrical pulses that then create chemical messengers to talk to other brain neurons. And you have billions of them, billions of them. Uh, in a simple way, myelination is a lipid fatty uh, tissue that surrounds, uh, think of it like an electrical wire. If you have an electrical wire in your house, you don't want it bare. 
you want it insulated in a rubber coating. Uh, otherwise, you could have a fire. Nature does the same things with our brain neurons. She wraps the terminals of the, of the neuron, and you guys can go Google all this stuff, with this uh, lipid fatty tissue as an insulator, which then enhances communication from this uh, brain neuron to the other brain neuron. So that's as simple as I'm going to get on that, and I spend a lot of time on it. But that's critical for development, neurogenesis, and for the brain to communicate properly. Myelination must occur. Uh, and it slows by about 10 weeks of age. It, it really does. But, but enough development to associate experiences with the sensation of fear. Here we go. This response, however, is normal and adaptive and involves learning about one risk. Risk. There are risks in life. So don't be a helicopter parent here. This is where you have to let the dog learn a little things, a few things, not things that are going to get it killed, but learn through cause and effect. And two, how to make a mistake successfully. That's key. How do I make a mistake? How do I do it successfully? How do I overcome this mistake? Uh, exposure to novel environments is critical. Critical. Darwin, back in 1874, his published work, The Descent of Man, actually touched on neuroplasticity back then. And, and by the way, neuroplasticity is nothing more than a catch-all phrase to describe any of the many changes that, that can occur to the nervous system. But he says, I have observed the brains in domestic rabbits and, and noticed that they are reduced in comparison to those of wild rabbits or hares. And he attributed that to generations being spent in close confinement where they did not exert their intellect, instinct, senses, and voluntary movement, but little, quote unquote, but little. And therefore, they'll use it, but lose it law. And that's exactly what happened. One of the, one of the main ways in which that you can kind of start to see that your dog is entering this, what we call a fear period, um, is things that they used to do just very, very confidently, like just fall off the couch and just keep on going. All of a sudden they're going to the edge of the couch and they're looking down and, and they're looking for a safe way down. And I always, I always ask people to look for those types of things, things that they didn't think twice about doing all of a sudden they're thinking twice about doing. And that's because the dog is start starting to kind of view the world as the potential threat that it possibly could be and and it's very interesting when you see the dog hopping up on the couch one day and then the next day it's like analyzing how how it might do it safely and those are not the moments where you go here I'll help you let the dog figure it out because that is crucial on how they're going to then approach uh, new obstacles that they that they encounter in their life you know this is the time period that we do our puppy imprinting program and when I talk to prospective clients about enrolling their puppies or their dogs into a training program a lot of times they just discount the imprinting program as important but from this research it's not just important it's vital yeah whether we do it or someone else does it it is absolutely critical a little thing on imprinting and the importance and the the creation that it can um, create long-term is I had a client the other day that came in and their dog is here for our advanced program. Well, their dog has this extreme habit that I've been working on breaking for three weeks now of pawing. Well, during one of their visitations, um, they go, yeah, he's doing that pawing thing. He's, but he's not doing it as bad. I said, yeah, I've been working my butt on getting him <laughs> to not do it. And, uh, I go, they go, why does he do that? And I go, well, at some point in his life early, he was probably trained how to shake. 
And they, they kind of looked at me and they're like, no, no, I don't. And I was like, well, then honestly, you just figured it out in some other way. And then all of a sudden they go, no, you did teach him how to shake. You remember when he was eight weeks old, we just got him. You taught him how to shake. He goes, yeah, but I haven't done it since then. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Permanent. It doesn't matter. Yes. Things learned during this time period are never forgotten. And Mm. if the puppy figured out, hey, forget the shake thing. That's a human thing. This touching you gives you a signal and it influences your behavior. You bet. I'm going to keep that. That's that's all about survival. I have to get my mother's attention. I have to get the attention of the other pack members so they will protect me. So when you look at your puppy that's between 8 and 12 weeks, how do you know that they're ready for this kind of exposure? How do you know you're not pushing them too fast? Well, one, they're ready. They're, they're ready from a natural developmental period. What you must keep in mind is this. Remember, they now know the sensation of fear. There's healthy stress, healthy fear, like Joshua said. I'm trying to figure out how to get off this darn sofa. And then there's what we call deadly fear or very damaging fear. You, if A good way to recognize this is case in point. If you take the dog outside into your front yard and cars are driving by, but the pup still puts his nose to the ground and sniffing here, sniffing there and moving closer to the road. And you go, oh, my gosh, so I'm going to go get the pup before he gets run over by a car. Um, then the cars obviously are not creating a problem. They are not causing the dog to be too fearful. Now, the dog who pops his little head up or hers and stares at the cars going by and freezes momentarily, that's still fine. What you want to look for is extreme avoidance. All of a sudden, they run all the way back to the house. They hunker down underneath a couch or what you name it. You're looking for extreme avoidance. Once you have that, you must stop right then, right there. Do not expose that puppy to that thing again for at least a couple more weeks. You have to be very careful. We must expose. We must expose you to relevant things like riding in a car, so on and so forth. However, if you're showing extreme avoidance, they will never, ever forget that. So this is where I always teach the zone of proximal development. Um, there has to be a certain degree of willingness within the the puppy's exposure. You know, there you know you can assist with encouragement, you can assist with motivation, but if the dog is just absolutely planting its feet and saying no, I need to get out of here. That's where you need to stop. There, when you have a puppy at this age, there has to be a certain degree of willingness in order to go forward. You know, we always say at a certain age, we require obedience. I don't care how willing you are, dog, you're going to lie down. That is not the case in this period. There has to be some level of willingness. Yes. While we do all of our imprinting <clears throat> programs, just treat-based. Yep, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's just learning language, learning communication, learning a novel environment, novel people, and so on and so forth. It is great, great exposure that's relevant and will be relevant on the dog's future. The consequence uh, during the eight to 12 week period of not uh, introducing your dog to novel environments and uh, including novel stimuli and not allowing them to explore the world and to gauge risk and how to make a mistake successfully. The consequence is, first of all, neophobia. And that's a fear of unknown places, novel environments, which think about it. Unless you plan on keeping your dog in your backyard, how many times will it have to go to a novel environment? You want to travel, stay in a hotel, you go to the vet's office, daycare, so on and so forth. There will also be lack of plasticity. And plasticity, again, is nothing more than, you know, it's being shaped without breaking. It bends. It's like plastic in responses. So there will be a lack of bending in responses. I'm becoming more and more 
rigid that we have to be careful of. And then there will be inappropriate play with both dogs and humans. Why I did not get enough of this when I was with my siblings. I was taken away too soon. I don't realize that I'm biting too hard. Uh, you bite some puppies too hard and you learn that pain motivates. Yeah, it motivates them. And they turn around and bite you even harder. And you learn bite inhibition. You learn how to inhibit a lot of your responses and a lot of your actions because you're constantly getting feedback feedback to those. It's all about exploring. All right. And the last major period we're going to talk about today is 13 to 20 weeks. That's the big one. Now you're in the big leagues. You're not in the minors anymore. You've stepped up to the plate and it is the big leagues. Major myelination is complete, which means all the circuits should be working properly. You should have electrochemical uh, communication occurring between your neurons. Uh, you still have neurogenesis happening, which new neurons are being developed and being created. Uh, ones that are no longer needed are being killed. Uh, it's a fascinating thing that just happens into the brain. But know this, dogs not allowed to explore new environments by 14 weeks will not voluntarily do so. Up until this point, they will do so. They will voluntarily explore new environments. But if you've not introduced them to exploration of new environments by 14 weeks, they will no longer ever voluntarily do so. Again, Josh was like you said, you have to drag them yeah. uh, well, into this that's, situation. That's what my announcement at the end of the day was going to be was owners who have dogs who balk or stop or plant their feet at doorways, stop picking your dogs up and carrying them through doorways yeah. <laughs> because we deal with that so often with these young dogs that come in and just to go into the next room, they see the doorway and they go, no, I'm not going. And then we have to Go, you know, you will, you, you'll get through it. And guess what? It's safe on the other side as well. And just a few doors, they finally pick it up. But it's always because when the dog does balk like that, the owner goes, oh, okay, I'll do it for you. And they pick them up and they go. And the dog never learns that I can go through the doorway and be fine. Yeah. If they're forced during the stage, they will freeze and they will become extremely distressed. Again, neophobia is a big concern. And now, now, because my brain is developing much rapidly than it did before, uh, in, in, in other words, in its awareness of its environment, you worry about what's called profound panic. And again, that's called scarring. When those, when those neuronal paths are dug in the brain, it is like digging a two-foot hole or a two-foot deep trail in the forest. They will never go away. Neuroplasticity at this time period during these seven weeks becomes more rigid. Behavioral responses become set, while obedience and desired responses to social and, and environmental stimuli must be taught. Listen to those words, it must be taught. The ability to have a plastic and flexible response and to have neurons that facilitate it is learned at both the behavioral and the neural molecular levels. So guys, it's important. How do I respond to this? How do I learn that walking next to a humans is good? Walking out in front of them is a mistake. How do I manage that? How do I know that's the case? And how do I learn how to ride in a car if I'm, if I'm never allowed to ride into the car? How come I don't know what the world is like around me if I'm always kept in the yard with a privacy fence? If I have a helicopter parent, uh, preoccupied attachment style, you know, that, that's so harmful. You, you, you don't want them to get hurt, but it's okay for them to hurt. You know, if you get my point, ow, that hurt. Yeah, I guess you won't do that again, will you? But it's not going to cause a broken bone or a lasting injury. No, it's about exploring the world, cause and effect, and learning 
from it. Um, during this time period, you can expect the animals, most animals, to go through what's known as a fear period. Uh, so what is a fear period? You were asking me that last night, Curious about how people would know if their dog was in a fear period. Yeah, how are you going to know the difference between a, just a natural fear period and then a puppy who's like, outside of that norm. They're just terrified. So first of all, what is a fear period? It is a time period in which nature realizes that, wow, uh, again, if a dog's exploration is not impeded, it will explore, especially if it's been given an opportunity in all those other uh, neurodevelopmental periods. It will explore. And it's got lots of coordination now, lots of uh, ability to do so. And nature realizes, eh, guess what? You're kind of like the little 14-year-old. You think you're a little grown man, but tell you what, there's still a lot of danger out there in the world. You can't handle it. So young wolf cubs will wander off. And sure enough, another wolf is waiting for them. A bear is waiting for them. A mountain lion is waiting for them. Lots of other animals that want to eat that young juvenile. They want to do so. Uh, Children will wander away from their parents. You take them into an airport. You sit down the way for your flight and you look up and they're gone. And they are gone. It's Put inside of both humans, that's that secure base attachment that you're talking about, Joshua. It is placed inside of us so that we don't wander too far or we suddenly become a little bit more clingy. And why do we become clingy? Because the very stimuli that we've grown accustomed to, that we recognize, suddenly takes on a different shape and a different meaning. Uh, And the way that you will know this is when your dog does something that makes you go, what the heck was that all about? Uh, case in point, I remember when Dave used to, well, he still does, uh, would follow you into the bathroom. So oh, you go into the bathroom and there goes Dave with you into the bathroom. But I also remember that time where he was a young pup, you went into the bathroom and he backed out. Mm-hmm. And he didn't just do it one time. He did it every time for about for five, yeah, yeah, for about five or six days, if I remember that correctly. Suddenly the toilet bowl grew teeth. <laughs> and he was afraid of it. Same thing with Captain. He would jump in this ivy we have in our front yard and bound around like a trampoline. Life is great. I love the front yard. 50 million cars going by. It doesn't matter to me. All of a sudden, one day, it mattered. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I took him outside. He jumped in the ivy, looked up, saw a car go by, and he ran and hid back, hid behind the- Behind uh, the couch. Behind yeah. the couch that we have <laughs> on our, our front porch. Now, it's an outdoor couch. It's not like you know, hey, we just do our fur trial on the front porch. But uh, that lasted about a week for him. And then he was over it. Nature does this on purpose. She wants to keep them alive until they're just a little bit older. Now, in the wild, these fear periods, uh, first of all, wolves don't have as many. But when they do, they're more prolonged. They last a little bit longer. There's more consequences for mistakes out there than there is here. Now, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is designed so that if, they so that they can go about their world analyzing it as uh, the potential threat that it might be. And during that period, if something does prove to be a threat, they will never forget it. Right. They will always be able to assess that threat going forward. They'll never forget anything that happens to them that might be even semi-traumatic. Yeah, it's, it's got to be something for a dog. Mm-hmm. Again, dogs' fear periods are not as prolonged. Uh, they have more of them. It's kind of like, I'm going to give you more quantity, less quality. Uh, they've overcame the toilet. He did. Trust me. Trust me. He goes with me every time. <laughs> yes, he's over. Whatever it was, he's over. Same thing with Cat. He runs down the front yard, no problem whatsoever. Uh, but however, had he run out into the front yard during that fear period and he got hit by a car, right? It's over. Yeah. I, you will never be able to crawl out of that hole. I, so again, guys, not to. You scare tactics today. This is all about awareness. Knowledge is power. Whether the knowledge has a little bit of an edge to it, a little bit of fear to it. So what? 
It gives us power. It gives us predictive information, which allows us to control things. Absolutely. So of all these, fear, all these periods that we talked about, these developmental periods, the ones that you're going to be the most concerned with are from about eight weeks to 12 weeks and then 13 weeks to 20 weeks. That's when most of us should be picking up our puppies. That's when housebreaking can occur because there's a sufficient cortical development to begin housebreaking. They're old enough. They get it now. They understand about risk. And they know how to manage mistakes and they know what mistakes are. They learn. It's a time to expose them to relevant things in your life. If you live in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, you know, my sled dogs, I did not have to introduce them to semi-trucks. I just didn't. They were not going to go any near any highway, uh, and, and they had a wonderful life. But, however, I did need to introduce them to other sled dogs who were their competitors. I had introduced them to what a sled was and, and, and what my screaming at them meant, meaning I'm trying to save my life. You guys are going way too fast. You're never going to make that turn. And sure enough, they didn't, and over I go. Yeah, they learned these things because these were all relevant for, for me. But for them, when they were growing up, I had to think about what was relevant to them. What is relevant to them? What can I possibly learn at any given age? And what should I learn at any given age? And hopefully we've given you a little bit of information on that today. I think what is most remarkable looking back through all of this information and also what makes me realize that there's a huge responsibility when you have a puppy is that you're saying that the experiences we provide for them, the exposure we give the puppies actually changes the bulk or the mass of the brain. Is that, yes. that's right. Absolutely. It does. There, there totally has amazing to me. Your brain, you're born, when you were born, you were born with more neurons than you need. And nature knows that. And she slowly starts to kill them off by introducing a protein known as a neuronal growth factor. Neuronal growth factor is basically food for your brain. And so many brain neurons do not get that uh, neuronal growth factor. They don't. Uh, it was, a lot of it is by design. A, you, this is in, in, you need an inhibitory neuron at this point here. You need an excitatory neuron, so on and so forth. But neurons actually compete for the NGF, and that was by design. Hence why some people are born different. They have a different personality. Their biology to withstand stress is different than the other ones. It's genetic, but outside of genetic, I'm going to do what I'm doing. You're going to get this many neurons, whether you like it or not. I'm going to kill off this many. I'm going to shove this many into the amygdala, this many into the hippocampus. And I'm going to do all of that. That's called me, called nature, called genetics. Now, there's this thing called environment. And environment is adaptive. That's what neuroplasticity does. It Humans, neurogenesis occurs. We used to think, wow, that's it. Once you get to like Joshua's age, he doesn't learn anything anymore. You're stuck. <laughs> You're just kind of stuck with what you were given. Sorry, Joshua, it is what it is, man. I wish I could help you a little bit more. We went through this last week. <laughs> I know, but we go through it every week. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm going to go through it every week. But neurogenesis, we've learned occurs all throughout life, but it all depends upon what you do. And that's going to be coming up next week when I talk about the effects of aging on dogs, how it's very similar with humans. If you don't read, you don't try to learn how to play a, a musical instrument or, or attempt to learn a foreign language. You don't push it. There's no need for neurogenesis. It's adaptive. Once you pass a certain developmental threshold from that point on, it's 
all adapted. Give me a reason to change. If not, I'm just simply going to take the easy route. That's just the way life is. Well, I think what this makes me realize is that we need to develop some kind of program, a certification program or something for breeders who are having the puppies, you know, between zero and eight weeks. That's such an incredibly important time. And while they may have the most incredible intentions, they may not know what they need to do for the puppies. Amen. You know, and this is so much more than an hour long show. This is a couple of days. This is breaking down every period and getting very detailed in those periods. What do you need to do? What should you avoid doing? And unfortunately, an hour long show, we just can't get down to that much detail. But I tell you what, we are here. And if you need more detail, you want more help, we're here. Brian with the Y at TameTheWild.com, or you can call us or reach out through Facebook, you name it. We are here. And by golly, it is way more detailed than that. Just doing this show here, you realize all day yesterday, my entire day, many multiple hours, and then a couple of days before that, was spent on just trying to break this whole thing down like a funnel into about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, it is volumes and volumes of recent research, old research, all the way back to Darwin's Descent of Man in 1874 and so on and so forth. It's so much. And my gosh, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really fascinating. But more than anything, it's really, really important. And if we ignore it, I'm seeing it. Yeah, I've lived it. I've seen it. It's there every single time someone brings me a dog to evaluate. And I'm next thing you know, we're having to prescribe medications and so on and so forth. Every single time. It's G by E. Every single time time. So many mistakes made in the environmental part, mm -hmm. the relevant uh, stimuli, the socialization and exposure all done incorrectly. Well, the unfortunate thing here is that the, the uh, credentials or the certification that you were talking about, we have to get everybody on board and agree that this is the standard in which that we go by in mm -hmm. order for anything like that to be put in place. Well, maybe no. we just do a seminar then. No, you do as I, I say, you say as I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm certified by God. You'll do exactly what I tell you to do. You'll like it. Uh, and the puppies are going to like it a whole lot more too. No, it's just, a, I don't know if certification is the right word to use. And we yeah. can discuss this off the air. Uh, it's just about providing information, information education. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the key to so many things to open up that, bring that pool of meaning, mm -hmm. get everyone together. And let's just talk about it because in this, in today's hurry up world in which we are preoccupied we're paying attention to our iPads, our computers, our phones, and not really so much the puppy. And we're working so many hours and we have long commutes. We have puppies suffering from it. We really do. We're not giving them a chance to explore. Who was the last person who took their 10-week-old puppy out into the forest and allowed it to explore? Who's to, you know, to let it walk next to a bicycle? Because one day I hope that you run next to my bicycle. We, we've got to make the effort to do more. And we have to get off of this. Oh, my gosh, this I'm going to protect you and smother you and love you. And 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 you're going to grow up and just love me back and protect me and smother me. Yeah, yeah darn right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, we, we got if you care about your puppy, we have to pay attention to what nature is still doing. She's the master. My gosh, we haven't even tipped the iceberg on neuroplasticity. Haven't even tipped it. There's so much, there's so many synapses, connections in our brain that they can't even get in there. 
to really study them. They study more of the connections that occur from, with muscle tissue to a bone, so on and so forth, because the brain is so dense. It's a force you can't even get into. But we are learning brain imaging, mapping, studying, now paying attention to it, never realizing, wow, this could happen to dogs. I realized it could happen to humans. I didn't realize it could happen to dogs. Huh. Knowledge is power. And may we use that power to safeguard our young puppies early periods in life and then grow them from there so that they don't have to come see dear old Brian. We'll always deal with genetics, but this information, if widely known, could put you out of business, Brian, as far as pharmacotherapy goes. Do so. And, yeah, I think and that's you would exactly, be happy. Yeah, and that's, so. that's our this. goal. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. never have to do a pharmacotherapy case again in your life then and do nothing yes. but obedience, that's that's a wonderful day. That would I'm, be a red banner. I'm the happiest sure. man in the world. I tell you what, I'll be a great street sweeper. <laughs> That's what I will be and I will do it happily. Uh, if that was the consequence of us doing it right with puppies, starting right and ending right. Uh, Kira knows, you know, she probably more than anyone knows more about how it affects me. Yeah, it affects difficult. my very mood. Um, yeah, it, it hurts. There's many times I walk away and I feel helpless I think I can't unscramble these chromosomes. I just can't do it. Or, wow, the dog's fine. It's the owner that needs to help. And I can't do anything about that either. It's, it's difficult. Um, love it for because I, I do see change. We've seen it recently with all the dogs that we've done in our pharmacotherapy programs. We, we see that change. But I'd still rather just do heel sit down and stay, yep. yeah, you know, absolutely. and not have to deal with that. Wow. I tell you what, time has flown. We only have a couple of minutes for a question. So let's just dig out one good one, Kira, and let me get on it real quick. Speaking of heel, how about this? Anna wants to know what is the right position for my puppy to be walking with me? She worked with a trainer who said the puppy should be always a few steps behind her. But as she's seen other people, she says their puppies are right beside their legs. So where should the puppy be when they're healing? You know, honestly, in short, wherever you want them to be. Yeah. You know, wherever it is safe, wherever it is comfortable. That's really up to you. There's no show rings out there that I've seen outside of where show rings normally are found. You know, in big old conference centers and so on and so forth. Uh, walking is you know, when they polled people over the years and asked them, why did you get a dog aside from companionship? It was a walking partner, mm -hmm. someone to get me out, to give me relevant exposure, reason to do so, predictive information, so on and so forth. Walking should be an enjoyable experience and a learning and productive experience for both you and the dog, your health, it's an outlet for frustration, for all the stress that we cannot avoid. You can't avoid it on this planet. So my advice to you is this. You walk your dog wherever you want to. But just so you know, there does come a time in which you choose to walk your dog in a very crowded area with lots of people, lots of skateboarders, bicyclists, you name it, or just physical obstacles. It's really handy if you can tell your dog Give your dog a command and have the dog take up a relative position next to your body really close, right by your leg. That works like a champ, especially when we, we do this all the time. We encounter people walking dogs with these yeah. long retractable leashes. They're not in the least bit controlled like the one yesterday. Yesterday. Just, yes. Yeah, this girl's on her, got headphones on, holding an iPhone in her hand. Dog's on a 30-foot retractable leash. And she just lets this thing come all the way across this eight-foot wide sidewalk, 
darn near trip Kira. Captain's got his white tail up, and we tell everyone, white tail rising, baby. Watch when that out. thing comes up, puffs out, you better watch out. And, oh, no, she's oblivious to the world, oblivious to her puppy and everything else, and here it comes. So at that point there, I told Captain to not only heal but switch. And that means go to the other side of my body, as far away from that puppy as possible. And then once we were away from her, I told him free. And he just promptly went right out ahead of me. He didn't pull me. He knows not to pull, but he's exploring the world. He's wanting to pee on everything. Check and the pee mail. Check the pee mail and everything else. And he's enjoying his walk and learning from it. And so are we. So therefore, I do think that it's very valuable if you have a skill set and a command in which you can you command your dog to drop back next to your body to hug your body really close just until you get past what it is you need to get past. Mm -hmm. And then once you do, you look around, look behind you, look in front of you, there's nothing around. Hey, free. But free has limitations. You're still not allowed to pull me. And you're not allowed to go trip me up and cross from side to side. Yeah. Outside of that, guys, you walk your dog how you wish to walk your dog. But do me a favor. Realize that there's other people out there with their dogs and respect that. Uh, that should have never happened. Uh, we did have a radio episode on, on that. Uh, people out in the world, I don't deserve your dog is the name of the mm -hmm. episode. And we didn't deserve her dog yesterday. And that, that could have become a big time fight. Um, so again, we had control of our dog. We took, we seized that control. And once we got past that obstacle, now we were relaxed and we went on with it. You guys do the same thing as well. Okay, guys, uh, coming up next week, we are going to talk about the aging effects on dogs. Guys, it happens. Uh, time waits for no man. And as far as I've learned so far, it doesn't wait for dogs either. See you guys next week. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.